1 through 4 as we read. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. There's a story told as a true story about a little Italian girl whose family was in poverty. They were very destitute. Most of the whole town was in the same situation. So this little girl had to work every day. She literally worked every day of the year in the silk fields, in the silk mills, if you will. And all year long, come New Year's Day, she got the day off. And this little Italian girl was so happy, she went singing through the town. And the story records a song and the words that she sang. The song goes, The years at the spring and days at the morn. Morning at seven, the hillside do pearl. The larks on the wing, the snails on the thorn. God's in his heaven, all's right with the world. This little girl in her time of suffering with her family and, and most around, having worked as she did, got a day off and she went singing through the town. And she brought about an effect that she had no idea about. As she went free-flowing, thankfully, singing from her heart, people's lives changed. An unmarried couple made some changes in their relationship. A man on the verge of losing his temper was calmed. Someone was halted in their heart from assassinating an Italian leader. And a hitman desperate for money was going to murder a child. But his agenda changed when he was convicted in his heart. Over what he had heard. Pippa was the girl's name. And she returned home. Completely unaware. Of all that had taken place. As a result of her joy. In a time of suffering. A little girl. Led most who had heard the sound of her voice. To a change in their attitude. In what was going on. A church. Needs strong leaders. And especially. During difficult times. Or times of suffering. Peter is writing. Primarily here. To the leaders. 
of this scattered church. And their responsibility that they have to the church in their time of suffering and their time of persecution that they've gone through. Leaders need to stand strong and to watch for the people in the current situation. They need to look for future dangers to be a good leader of the people. Peter was a pastor as well as writing to the pastors. And the whole church gets the letter and there's something in here for all of us. And but Peter has made some points here directed to the leaders of the scattered church. And the first thing we're going to look at is a need to heed. Verse one, we see a need to heed. He writes the elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder. Peter is writing to them and he's letting the, these pastors out there know that he's a pastor too. It's important to listen to leaders. What Peter says in this verse is stressing an importance that he be heard by them. It's important to listen to those who lead, not because they're important people, not because they're smarter than the flock. I'm sure most of the time there are many members of the flock that might be smarter, that might be more gifted, that might have greater ability than the one leading. It's not because of the person that there ought to be respect. It's not that the people would be completely spiritually helpless without a pastor. But it's simply because God calls men to this position. Peter was a very simple fisherman. But he was an elder, he calls himself. He's a pastor. You know, and I'm sure every member of the church cares about the well-being of the church. Those in the will of God, those who you might call the core of the church, not making a division here, but many church members truly care about the church. But the pastor has a very special responsibility with the church. Peter had a very special responsibility as a pastor. And so do those that he is addressing specifically in this portion of the letter. A very specific motivation. And so he wants these pastors to listen to him. And he's saying... That he's also a pastor. And he can identify with the attack from the wolves that came upon them. He can identify with some suffering that goes on. And he can identify with the results of that suffering. The experience that they're going through. He can identify it. And he desires to help. And he asks that his fellow elders would listen. Some people have a hard time listening during their hardships. During hard times, it's just so hard 
for people to listen. I was told by one of my mentors that a lot of people will already have their mind made up about what they want to do about this or what they want to do about this or how they want to handle their difficult situation before they come to you. And they're going to want you, I was told, just to confirm them in, in what they want to do. I've been in counseling sessions before when it was supposed to be a dialogue, but it was just a monologue. I didn't speak at all. And then, and then I was frowned upon it, uh, frowned upon something I said when I didn't even get a chance to speak. It's hard to listen during hard times, and that's all of us. It's hard to listen when we go through hard times. But this is the passion on Peter's heart. How do I get the people to listen to me through their suffering? I care and I'm an elder and I can help. He doesn't just point out in an expression and a desire to get the people to listen by saying he's an elder. But we also see that Peter was an eyewitness. He said he also is an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. All of the ridicule, the mocking, the cursing, the questioning, the doubting, the rejection, the rebellion, the refusal of belief, the rejection of the claims. Of Jesus Christ to Jesus that he went through and that he suffered. Peter saw it. Peter saw that experience, has been through it himself, and he wants to help the people. He witnessed the sufferings and the struggles of the ultimate leader, our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. He saw that. The leaders and the people ought to listen to Peter. He's not saying it out of a demand. He's saying it out of care in his heart. As being an eyewitness. People ought to, people ought to listen to the preacher. Might sound funny for a preacher to preach about the preacher. But that's what the text is about. The movie Passion of the Christ came out some 14 years ago or so. And the view of people that saw it, if you were a Christian and you didn't go see it, and the people thought you were a heathen for not going and see it. I mean, anybody who was any kind of Christian was supposed to go see the Passion of the Christ, they say. Some of the godliest pastors in my life had zero interest in watching that movie. Not because they thought it was something negative or, or something bad, but because daily in their lives, they were already obsessed with the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and they saw the passion of the Christ as it unfolded in the scriptures and at the, as they talked about him daily and they preached about him daily and they witnessed about him daily, 
they had a movie from heaven in their heart and in their mind about it. That would beat the one that went to the theater. So the pastor today that studies the word is also a witness of the sufferings of Christ and all he went through and can help. But we not only see that Peter in an urgency that they might listen to him in their hardships. He's not only an elder and an eyewitness, but an eternal inheritor. A partaker, it says, of the glory which shall be revealed. Peter got a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ on that transfiguration. Of Jesus Christ. He got a glimpse of what was to come. And now he's thinking about the fullness of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. And he's connecting this with what the people need. And they need to listen to him because of being an elder and an eyewitness and being an eternal inheritor. Thinking and meditating on the return of of the Lord Jesus Christ. He aims to get their attention. With the promise of our Lord's return. In their time of persecution. The promise. Of his return. Is not only something that Peter talked about. It's something that Jesus talked about. When Jesus talked to his disciples. And they mentioned these heavy things. A lot of times he qualified it or came back with his return one day through their times of suffering through the times that Jesus said they would go through he also spoke of the time he would come back if you would listen to the words that Jesus said I'm not I'm going to be in a few different gospels I'm not going to give you the address I'm going to read through them as we consider what Jesus told his disciples and he said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward. He also says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the generations when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of His glory, ye shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging twelve tribes of Israel, and every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. You're familiar with Jesus when He says, Well done. Thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And Luke, he says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great and ye shall be the children of the highest. And John, he says, the hour is coming and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, 
there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Jesus so many times sent his children into thinking about his return and his second coming. An eternal inheritor. We are inheritors of the things of God. We're joint heirs with Christ, the Bible says. Peter got a glimpse of the glory which was to come. And he was willing to serve the Lord through suffering. He was willing to lead no matter what. Because of the glory that shall be revealed. There was a Christian businessman and he was such a successful businessman. He was able to take some time to go throughout the world and go to many mission fields. And he took his video camera and he took his camera to take pictures and he did so all over the place. But he came to this one portion of India and he came across a young missionary nurse. And she was healing the wounds of a beggar. Leprous type wounds. Just gross type wounds, if you will. And she was telling him about Jesus. And the businessman couldn't lift his video camera. He couldn't lift his camera to even take a picture. Tears rolling down his cheek. And when the beggar was ministered to, and medicated and sent away. He said, young lady, I couldn't do that for a million dollars. And she looked up and said, neither could I. What we do for the Lord in this life should have nothing to do with what we could get in this life. It's nothing compared to what God has in store for you and I. Peter is directing the pastors, the people of this scattered church to serve for what you can get there and not for what you get here. If anybody serves for what you get here, when harder times come along and when the suffering becomes unbearable, they will quit. They will quit. But not for the greatest rewards that God has in store in heaven. And so Peter, just desiring for them to know these things, looks down these three different attitudes so that they might see the need to heed or pay very close attention to him. But not only do we see the need to heed, we see the need to feed, verses 2 and 3. It says, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being an example to the flock. A need. To feed the flock. Sometimes the pastor and, and leaders are called to carry a member of the church. 
Anyone can get there. Anyone can go through it. And sometimes a member needs to be carried. Kind of like the man sick of the palsy. You had one who needed to be carried by four. And there's a season and there's a time that that has to happen. And the result is the desire of the man sick of the palsy. He went in with his head on his bed. He left with his bed on his head, if you know what I mean. And he was restored and he was lifted up. There's the expending of a pastor and that sometimes the people need to be carried. And the pastor is to guide members away from the godlessness of this world. And rescue those that are going astray to leave the 99 and to go after the one. And to see those souls saved who are lost. And to protect members at their own expense, at a cost to them. But before any of these things, above and before all of these things is one certain duty. It's, an, it's a special duty. It's the most important one. And that is to feed the flock the word of God. That is number one. There is the expending of the pastor to tend to the flock. But there's the expounding from the pastor to feed the word of God to the flock. That's number one. Notice in the verse, it doesn't say the flock of the pastor. It says the flock of God. And so the pastor can't make his own agenda and how he's going to lead the people. It's God's agenda and God's number one priority first is that the pastor feed the flock. The word of God. It's the most important thing. And he's to truly preach the deep word of God simply. And put study and effort and labor into it. Notice with me where we are. Verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you. I'm about to say something. And I'm going to say it for two reasons. One because the text is about the elder, about the pastor. And number two, it's because probably not you, but many people think the opposite of what I'm about to say. Let me word it with a question. Is it more difficult to visit members in the hospital, to go to members in their time of need, to plan church events, to do all these things? Is it is it harder to do that or is it harder to study the word of God and labor in it for hours and prepare a sermon that will truly feed the flock? Most people, a lot of people anyway, would, would say it's easier to prepare the sermon. And the thing is, that's not true. It is much harder to study. When someone came to me, it was the day before the retreat. They had a big theme and a big plan for it. 
And they came to me one day before and said, will you preach our retreat? And look, sometimes that happens to where you're called on a moment's notice and you need to be ready. But this person actually told me, I knew it was you that we were going to have to preach this retreat. I just never got around to telling you about it. You know why? Because they thought that I would just stand up there and start speaking and there would be no preparation that that's just what the preacher does. He stands up and he just, it just comes out. And that's not true. It's harder to labor in the word of God. It's the more important thing to do. The need to feed. There's an expending of the pastor in ways of ministering to people. There's the expounding being in samples to the flock. And the expounding kind of spills over into the example. Because if one is in the Bible and studying the Bible, really deep in the Bible, and meditating on it, then it's going to spill over into their behavior. What matters is the message. That's the most important thing. The Apostle Paul was, was rejoicing, if you will, writing to the church at Thessalonica, how they received the message and that it was from God when they were saved. But he also said, you know what manner of men we were among you. So he speaks of their behavior as examples to the people. The pastor isn't perfect, but he shouldn't preach one thing and frequently do the opposite. He should be a model of what God is making out of his children. And he's to hold up even through suffering. You, are you still with me? Peter is writing and he's touching on the leaders of this scattered church. And he's touching on the example that they need to be even through suffering. When I talk to some young people sometimes about circumstances that might change in life. What I hear from them, and look, this isn't, this isn't a criticism. Everybody's a work in progress and learning. But what I gather and hear from them is that depending on your situation in life, that makes it okay not to do this or not to do that in the things of God. And that's simply not true. And we need to be that example of faithfulness during our time of suffering. Faithfulness through the ups and faithfulness through the downs. And Peter is encouraging this church to be an example of that. He's not to dictate to the members how to live and demand to them, but command them by the example to see how to live. There's a need to heed and a need to feed. And in verse 4, we're going to look at a need to deed. And he breaks this up in three ways. And when the chief shepherd shall appear. 
Peter quickly comes back to the glorious second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Suffering Christians, scattered saints abroad, think on Jesus returning. Jesus is coming again. And Peter is using this to lead the struggling pastors and people to hold up in, as Paul said, their light affliction, which is but for a moment. And we see the exposing here. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, suffering appears before the people now. But one day very soon, the Savior is going to appear before the people. Not along with suffering, but instead of suffering. Both will not be in appearance. Right now it's suffering, but when the Savior comes, the appearance of suffering is all gone. And it's just the appearance of the Savior. And this is coming one day very soon. So Peter encourages them of the need to deed, the need to stay faithful, the need to keep serving through all that they're going through because of the exposing, the coming of the Lord Jesus real soon. Not along with suffering, but instead of suffering. But we not only see the exposing, we see the the endorsing. It says, when he shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory. There's a promised blessing for the children of God. The preachers will get certain crowns, certain rewards, but every faithful Christian is going to be rewarded one day. This this endorsing is coming. It's the promise of the blessing and there's going to be a prize in the hand and it's coming very soon. So in the spiritual battles of life, we're not to focus on the feud, but focus on the prize for faithfulness. We need to keep a faithfulness in mind. Faithfulness is not about going to camp and have an, ex- an explosion of a big spiritual week. And then you see nothing else out of someone until vacation Bible school. And then there's another big explosion and, and, and people are working with the kids and everything's great. And then you hardly see them at church. And then they go to winter retreat and they're really able to minister to people and one another and sit under the word of God for several days. And they really get into this place where they say, I'm doing really good. And then dwindle down for several days. Faithfulness. For a crown, faithfulness for the rewards for Christians. It's about constant, every day, all the time. It's about Wednesday night service, it's about Sunday morning, it's about Sunday night, it's about pounding that pavement out there into the house of the God. Through the foyer into the sanctuary, coming to God's house and worship, going to the workplace and being built up to be that Christian example. You need to be in front of others to be looking for that opportunity to be able to witness, to be that example ongoing when nobody will talk to you at work about it. But then they have that time in their life whenever they're struggling in some way and, and they want to talk about the things of God. And there you've been faithful. 
And it's been constant over and over. You're not looking for a special friend day. You're not looking for a special anniversary service. You have come to the house of God to meet with God and to meet with His people and to worship Him. And you do it over and you do it over and you do it over. It's not about a roller coaster of an explosion of a great thing done. And then you don't do much for a while. It's constant faithfulness no matter what. The endorsing. There's a promise of blessing and reward for the people of God. But we'll start closing with the enduring at the end of verse 4. It's a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And none of the rewards that are collected in heaven for God's people will ever fade away. When I speak of enduring here, the Christian is to endure, but we're not talking about the Christian. We're talking about the crown. We're talking about the crown in heaven. The crown that endures. There's an old flower called an amaranth. And it seems to never fade. You can cut this flower off and you can moisten it and it revives. And the color is vibrant in it and it stays even after you pick it. It's lasting. There's no flower like it on this earth, they say. Because of its ability to endure and to preserve. And there's nothing on this earth by way of any kind of reward or thing you can have that compares to the rewards in heaven. Our aim can't be for any earthly gain. In the spiritual work of God. And as we meditate and we think on these crowns. And we think of on the rewards that are coming. There, there's nothing else that's worth casting our eye upon. But what God has in store for all of us. In our lives. There ought to be no lives in the world. That could be closely seen to the life of a child of God serving God and keeping their mind on things above and deeding, if you will, because of the exposing the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ and the endorsing. And that is the crown and the rewards that are for us because they're enduring they're forever and nothing on this earth. Can come close to matching it. This little girl Pippa. By her joy and suffering. Led a movement in so many. Can, can we be like this little girl? And let the Lord make us joyful even. During our time of suffering. Remember we're talking about. Getting a handle on suffering. We're talking about conquering suffering. And we can do it joyfully. The joy of the Lord is our strength, after all. 
So let me sum it up this way. Can we listen? Can we listen? We all need good counsel. We all need good leading. We all have that time where we desperately need it. And Peter knows they need it here. And so can we listen? Can we labor? And, and can we look in our time of suffering? This word is leading this scattered church. It's leading you and I to be able to have a handle on suffering. You don't have to look too far to find even a Christian that is drowning in their suffering. And God's Word has healing. And God's Word has rescue. God's Word has an answer. God's Word has a way to make the drowning one a conqueror in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And then I need teenagers and, and anyone.